There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy God, you have a word for us today, a word of comfort and a word of challenge, a word of hope and a word of leadership for our lives. Make our hearts soft and plant your word in us that it may bear fruit through our lives. Amen. I love good wine. We've had a lot of vineyard texts lately. Is anyone starting to get thirsty when we hear all these? Just me. Yeah, there was a season in my life, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, where Gail and I were going to get into wine. We were uh, living in Minnesota, and there was this great local store near us that would run sales on wine frequently. Remember the old days where they would run sales on wine? They just don't do that like they used to. And so we decided we were going to be wine people, so we got really into it. And we, we had our little notebook where we would write our, our notes, and we, would, and we would taste the wine, and we, would, and we would swirl it in the glass, and we would smell it and say things like, oh, the nose on this, and oh, the bouquet, as if we knew what we were talking about. Now, the thing is, uh, this was a season in our lives where we were both working in youth ministry, and we were much younger, and so how we defined good wine might be different than how you would define good wine. Like our go-to bottle was this brand called Tisdale, and we thought it was amazing because it was only $3. So good. Sometimes we would splurge. There would be a sale on a $12 bottle marked down to eight, and we would grab that puppy up and say, oh, that's the good stuff. We better save this for a special occasion. You know, uh, then later I was uh, delighted to find when we went to uh, Wartburg Seminary that there was a grapevine on campus. There was this grapevine that someone had planted many, many years ago and had been established there. And, and now every year in the fall, on a crisp fall day, the community at the seminary gathers together, families, professors, students, and we picked the grapes 
And so you can taste these grapes right off the vine, and there was always this abundance. And we'd throw all the grapes into these vats or these containers, and the kids would get barefoot, and they would stomp the grapes. They would squish the juice between their toes and mash the grapes. And then at the end of the day, it would all go into the lower level in one of the buildings, and some of the professors and students uh, who were so inclined would make wine. And we would use this wine for our worship, for our communion on campus there at the seminary. And when you graduate, every student is given two bottles of Wartburg Castle wine. And Gail and I still, she got two, I got two, and we still have one left. And um, let me be clear, the thing about vineyards and wine is you kind of have to know what you're doing. So this is really, it is communion wine. It's not save that and open it with your filet mignon kind of wine. It's not that. But here's the amazing thing about vineyards. You know, I didn't grow that vine. Someone else had done that. There was nothing I could do to make that fruit grow. It just did. We were just blessed to be there in a season to, produce, or to be a part of the harvest, to be a part of that joy, and be connected to one another. Friends, there's a reason that God uses the metaphor of a vineyard so often in Scripture. You know, because 2,700 years ago, when Isaiah was first uh, doing his ministry, people understood what a vineyard was. And then in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, he could talk about a vineyard and people said, yeah, we get that. And today, if we talk about a vineyard, we know what that is. It's amazing that so much that was true about a vineyard all the way back then is still true today. Kind of like what's true about God all the way back then is still true today that this is a God of of justice and mercy, of righteousness and love. And as we've had all these vineyard readings over the last weeks, it makes me wonder, are we tending the vineyard of our life? Are you tending the vineyard of your life? And if that's the central question today, I think we get uh, deeper into that question by breaking it down into three different questions. So the first is this today. What is the vineyard that God has planted for you? What, what is that vineyard? So before we get to the challenging parts of the text, we have to stop and look back and see that's exactly what Isaiah is doing here in this first reading, looking back to remember what God has done. And Isaiah does this in this timeless way by painting this beautiful metaphor, this picture of God as the uh, one who plants a vineyard to remind them of all God has done. And so as you look through that text, we see some things. We see God, it said, dug a wine press, which reminds us that God has prepared something for us. And it says that the vineyard was cleared of stones, which is, uh, to me, it speaks about how God has cleansed some things in our hearts, in our lives. It said that God had planted choice vines because God is a provider. And then the last thing that Isaiah says is that God built a watchtower in the midst of it because God is what? God is a protector. So before we get to any challenge that the text holds, it's important to to be reminded first of who God is and what God has done. So what is the vineyard God has planted for you? What, What has God done throughout your life to bring you to this moment? Or maybe even this question, what has God done before you were even born to prepare the way for this season in your life now? If that's the first question, the second is this. Where is the vineyard God has planted for you or planted you in? 
Where is that place, that vineyard that God has put you in specifically to tend, to care? And, if, and that's what we see in these texts, the folks that didn't remember what God had done and were, not, were kind of oblivious to where God had put them for what reason, so they missed their why, the purpose God had called them to. I mean, that's what we see in Isaiah's time. And that's what Jesus found in his day, people who had forgotten and they missed what they were called to do. So, so what do I mean by this, this language of where? Well, if we look back at the biblical story, at the history of Israel, we can go way back to the beginning, to Abraham and Sarah. God had promised them, they, they were barren, they couldn't have kids, and God promised that they would have descendants, that, he would, that God would make a great nation of Abraham and Sarah. In fact, God promised them descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, which apparently is a really nice promise. But as someone with three kids in our house right now, I'd be like, well, God, that's nice, but maybe three's enough. <laughs> but, but of course, God was talking about the future, descendants uh, that would become a nation. And, and part of that, God called them to leave their home and go to a new land because it was in that place that they would discover their purpose, their why, that God was blessing them, not just for their sake, but in order to be a blessing. See, God had put them in this place, this where, for this purpose, that they could proclaim who God was in the midst of these people around them who had no idea who this God of the universe was. And then generations later, if you follow Israel's history, we remember they became enslaved later uh, in Egypt, and God led them out of Egypt to where? To the promised land, right? But they had to wander a while first. They had lots of wares to discover along the way because they, forget, they kept forgetting the what, what God had done for them. They kept complaining to Moses saying, why did you lead us out here in the desert where there's no water and no food? Are you a fool, Moses? And Moses would say, um, excuse me, did you forget that time in Egypt where you were a slave and you were oppressed? And like, oh, that's right, man, I forgot. They had to wander, but eventually they landed in Israel. And where did God put them? in this place geographically that was right in the crossroads of all these other peoples. In fact, they were right in the center of roads and trade routes, not just with the small nations around them, but with the ancient Middle Eastern superpowers of Egypt and, and Assyria and Babylon and later Persia. God planted them there and expected them to, to bear God's fruit of righteousness and justice, of love and mercy to a world around them that all too often bore the fruit of violence and greed and oppression. They were uniquely planted here so that they could show the people around them a different way, God's way, the way of righteousness and justice, mercy and equity, a way of life that cares for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable. And God had given Israel not just a religious system and structure to do this, but God in, in the law gave them a political and an economic way of life to do this as well. And if you read through the whole law, it's amazing because here's the thing, we don't have a compartmentalized God. We have a holistic God. And if your religious practices value justice and compassion and, and equity, but your economic and political systems produce exploitation and oppression, that won't do for God's people because we don't have a compartmentalized God. We have a holistic God. And God planted them here so that God's ways could go there. So where has God planted you in this season? So that God can use you to bear fruits of the kingdom in that place. Maybe it's your work or, or your school. Maybe it's your, your neighborhood or your community. Maybe it's your 
relationships that God has placed in your life, where has God planted you? So if the first question is, what is the vineyard? And the second question is, where? Then the third question, the last question, I think is the hardest question. What is the fruit God is calling you to produce? And I say it's the hardest question because I don't know about you, but I worry, what if I don't know how to produce this fruit? What if I fail? And when I look at this parable today, Jesus says what I think is probably the hardest thing that the scribes and the Pharisees will ever hear. The words that if if I heard Jesus say these to me would shake me to my core. I want to look again here at verse 43. It says this, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. What had gone so wrong that Jesus would have to make this pronouncement to them? How had they gotten so far off track that this is what things had come to? Friends, this verse can sound scary because what if I mess up? I don't know anything about cultivating vines. And I don't know about you, but I think that in our world today, I feel plenty of pressure from our culture around us to perform and produce results and and these expectations that we're supposed to live up to. And, And if we're not careful and we read this text wrong, it can feel like God is simply placing even more expectations on our shoulders of things we could never bear. But I can't hear these words of Jesus today without also hearing words Jesus speaks in another place in John 15. Jesus says this. This is our memory verse for the week. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me. Maybe that's the thing. Apart from me. You know, we could get into all the details of what the scribes and the Pharisees and the Israelites did or didn't do. We could drill down and look at specific laws or sins, but at the heart of it, at the end of the day, because they were apart from God. When we, when we don't abide in God, when they stopped being connected to the God who loved them, the God who called them, the God who cared for them, that's when things went awry. And it's like God is saying, I, I don't... I don't just want you to, to come and work in my vineyard as a temporary tenant. I, I want to be connected to you. I want you to be as connected to me as a branch is to a vine. That's how much I love you. Because the thing is, God doesn't just make the vineyard. Jesus is the vine, bringing us life. And this, this thing about being called to be fruit bearers, Jesus doesn't say this to us as an obligation, but an invitation. It's not an obligation, it's an invitation to be more deeply connected to him. And I asked at the beginning, are you tending the vineyard of your life? But maybe a better question to ask is, are we letting God tend the vineyard of our lives? After all, it's not our vineyard, it's God's vineyard. We're simply invited to come participate in this life. It's an invitation not just to join in meaningful work or not just to find purpose for our lives, but also to enjoy the beauty of the harvest and the fruit that comes together. So this week, as you go out, I invite you to reflect on these things. How are you letting God tend the vineyard of your life? Remember the vineyard God has planted for you, what God has done. Pay special attention 
to where God has planted you in this season and for what purpose so that you can discover the joy of bearing the fruits of the kingdom, allowing Jesus to work in and through your life. Let us pray. Holy God, you uh, have given so much. You gave us your very self. You plant a vineyard and invite us to join in the joy of this life of bearing fruit of the kingdom. God, help us to receive the gifts you give, open our eyes to the opportunities you place in our lives to share love and mercy, to bring hope into a world so ready to receive it. God, lead us and guide us. Help us to experience your presence more and more with each new day as we connect with you. In Jesus' name, we give thanks and we pray. Amen.